Hi, you're listening to Offsite, a series of interviews with theatre makers who work in unusual, site-specific, site-responsive and non-traditional spaces. This series was recorded over two weeks in December 2020 and is supported by the Arts Council. I'm Owen Winning and in this episode I'm talking to Maeve Lambert. Maeve Lambert is a theatre artist based in County Kilkenny, with extensive experience as a director, producer and designer. As co-artistic director of Asylum, her work has been presented nationally and internationally, and includes The Big Chapel X with Kilkenny Arts Festival and the Abbey Theatre, which she co-adapted and designed. Maeve is also artistic coordinator of Equinox Theatre Company at KCAT Arts Centre in Callan, which is at the forefront of international best practice in inclusive arts. Hi Maeve, good to talk to you. Hi Owen, how's it going? <laughs> Very good. Um, I've been asking interviewees if they uh, they watched theatre growing up and how they decided they wanted to work in the arts. Uh, the, the question for you is, was there any chance that you wouldn't become an artist? <laughs> Not a hope. There wasn't a hope for me. Um, so both my parents are visual artists and uh, obviously, or not obviously, but I'm part of the Lambert clan. Um, in the Lambert Puppet Theatre family in Monkstown. My childhood in the puppet theatre growing up, um, mostly as an audience. A lot of my cousins growing up backstage, but I remember quite regularly. Um, so it was always a fascinating world and I would have spent a lot of time in the workshops and the making and all of that. It was, it's just what you're around and what you're surrounded by and you learn what you're good at in that kind of, as an amazing arts education as a child, I guess. So yeah, it had to be, it had to be the arts. Mm-hmm. I didn't know which art though. That was a big question for me. <laughs> yeah, how did you decide on, on theatre? You, you did drama theatre studies in, in Trinity? I did drama and theatre studies in Trinity. So I came to theatre quite late, bizarrely. Um, my interests were really in, in music and visual arts as a child growing up and, and as a young teenager. Um, I actually ended up going to France for a year and studying uh, music with a, a, I played recorder, interestingly, but I, I um, studied music for transition year in, in Lyon with an amazing uh, recorder teacher. Um, and like I did think probably I was going to be a visual artist or a, or a musician, but um, mm. then I discover uh, and I also really loved writing. So when I discovered youth theatre, I realised this was an amazing kind of confluence of all the art forms and that I could find somehow probably fulfilment in all of these things and not just maybe one aspect of myself. Mm. Yeah, so that's um, so youth theatre. Youth theatre was how I came to theatre really. Right. And through Barnstorm View Theatre, yeah. There you go. Um, and did you find it useful to study theatre in a university setting? Or, or do you find that you, you actually learned more by getting out and doing performances and making shows? Like, 
yes I learned more when we start when I started like making theatre outside I was a terrible student really um, but on the other hand having a degree in a thing definitely makes it easier to give you like it gave me confidence to say this is what I want to do this is my chosen profession and this is how I want to do it so in terms of learning I think for me they were both really important like I needed I needed the, the grounding and the basis of the university degree personally um, but I could totally see how you could through apprenticeships <laughs> get to learn quite a lot you know mm -hmm. so maybe not like maybe not necessary for everyone but it helped you yeah certainly and, and certainly helped me kind of like again just just thinking about all those aspects of myself my creativity and my interest in theory and my interest in writing and my interest in design i mean that's at university is where you learn how those things kind of prop each other up in theater mm -hmm. how they are all really important um so yeah and and the theater studies and not you know acting um that was that was a really amazing kind of grounding in in everything you know it's kind of a baptism of fire really mm. you know um so it's it's yeah it was really you know it was really important for me definitely the degree mm, yeah. what kind of theater were you making at the time um actually i was designing a lot mm -hmm. so i um back at the beckett center i i designed mostly and and uh so that was the thing but say in the summer there was one summer must have been between second and third year or third and fourth year where I um, went back to Kilkenny and I, I got a job with Barnstorm and they were amazing. I mean, amazing to me, really, because they just said, well, what do you want to do? <laughs> um, and myself and Liz Fitzgerald decided we wanted to work with a bunch of teenagers and we ended up making really my first off-site piece, which was um, an adaptation of Antigone mm -hmm. um, for teenagers. Um, on top of a multi-story car park in Kilkenny so you could see the whole of Kilkenny wow. outlined and we used this kind of concrete amphitheater um so that was I was just trying everything yeah <laughs> just trying everything out so uh, I, yeah. I wouldn't mind exploring that a little so so you actually started into off-site performance really early like from a design perspective what was it that interested you in in the car uh the car park space obviously the the view yeah, so definitely the view, but I'm um, as a designer or as the designer aspect of me is really interested in materials and, and kind of the truth of a material. Um, so a mass concrete multi-story car park, like I really love them. <laughs> and I really love the kind of, I suppose, the brutalist nature of, of naked concrete is really mm. fascinating. Um, and then also this particular one, um, there was, you know, there's obviously rakes involved for car, like the ramps for cars to travel down. And, and we decided that's where we put the audience and, um, mm. and particularly the top floor of this was open. You had this incredible view of um, Kilkenny Castle, yeah. you know, there's all of this kind of amazing contrast going on. So, um, so sorry, those, time, those ramps then, yeah. like that, that gives yeah. you a, a, a natural incline for an audience so everyone can have a proper view. Like, it's great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was fantastic. <laughs> it was brilliant. And, and uh, you know, when you're really young, you, you have nothing to lose. You just ask. And what's mm. the worst somebody can say is no. And yeah, we got access to it, got public access to it. 
Um, and uh, actually the hotel that owned the car park gave us loads of chairs as well. So we, we actually were able to seat people across the ramp. And um, wow. yeah, it was fantastic. Yeah, good, good times. Yeah. Um, but I was also, <laughs> coupled with that, I was also very interested in exploring, um, I suppose, the moral um, dilemma or the moral compass of Antigone with teenagers because it's such a great, it was such a great thing to interrogate with them because mm. they completely identified with it. Mm. Um, and we adapted it really for their language. So a bunch of Kilkenny teenagers um, with their own, um, idioms and um, lots of swearing as far as I remember mm. um, but it was amazing and uh, so there's 12 teenagers involved in, and out of those 12 I think 8 are still involved in the arts wow. one of whom is quite a, a well-known actor now um, so yeah it was, a, yeah, it was good Fantastic um, I mean I know you as a, a performer a director, a designer, a producer um, and sometimes all at once um, do you have a favorite role? Yeah, design. design. Like, if I could, I'd just design all the time. <laughs> okay. But, but, but because, I suppose, because I've had so much experience of having to be all of those things, um, I'm really interested in the connection between design and, and the making of theater. And then I guess that really comes to a, that really comes to a head when you're working off site as well, because, um, you become almost a dramaturg or or the connection between dramaturgy and design is is really close i mm. think um when you're making offside especially promenade theater yeah. um because you're talking about the, the journey that the audience makes you know the um and the experience and your role as an audience and what you're seeing and what you're experiencing are are one and the same really mm. um so that's i don't like i don't I don't define myself as any one thing because I, I can't because I, I think they're so closely linked mm -hmm. um, for me anyway. Yeah. Yep. Um, you're the artistic director of Equinox Theatre Company in KCAT. Um, how did you start working at KCAT and uh, what made you want to work there? Um, <laughs> simple story, really. Uh, I uh, got my first commission from Barnstorm. Mm -hmm. So I moved back to Kilkenny and moved out of Dublin. And I, I think I really needed to get out of Dublin. Um, I, I think I'm a country mouse and, and I needed I needed to be not in a huge city all the time. Um, so when that production ended with Barnstorm, I, I had written this play, Ten Mouse, Country Mouse. When that ended, I ended up moving back home with my parents um, and I didn't know what to do. And this ad appeared in the Kilkenny People looking for a course assistant at KCAT Arts Centre. And when I was growing up, my parents were quite involved with Camp Hill Communities of Ireland and KCAT as part of Camp Hill. Um, and two of their um, camp, two camp Hillers used to come to uh, my father's sculpture studio to um, do stone carving with them every single week. So I kind of grew up with, I grew up with people with uh, disabilities or disabled people, whatever you want to call it. And one of them happened to be George McCutcheon, who's the father of KCAT. He's mm -hmm. the founder of KCAT. He was the inspiration for KCAT. Um, so I knew Georgie since I was five years old. And Georgie actually also initiated the, the, the theater course, which was then to evolve into the theater company. Mm. Um, so I was there from the very beginning of the of the theatre course that was established then 
and uh, and I moved from course assistant to course director um, and then with the students that came out of the very first kind of tranche of students that we had um, those guys were really heavily motivated to to make this their career mm. um, and uh, and that's what that's what ended us we we all founded Equinox Theatre Company together it was eight eight students who wanted to become actors and me and um and we just did it mm. <laughs> um the thing about the thing about working inclusively is that once you start and once you kind of really understand it you don't want it to not be part of your life anymore mm-hmm. you understand that it opens your heart and soul and mind and intellect and <laughs> challenges you at every turn but it's it's worth it you know and mm. um, so i'm still here 14 years later yep. <laughs> yeah and at the same time you're also a member and and co-artistic director i believe of asylum is that right or yeah yeah and how do you balance so, your work between the two of them ah uh, kcat's very understanding so uh a kcat it's a i just work here part-time so the theory is that I work in KCAP part time and then I work as a freelancer um, outside of that. And then and then quite a lot of that time involves um, my work with Asylum. So um, how do I balance it? I think in KCAP, I'm a producer and a project manager and a facilitator. Mm-hmm. Um, outside of KCAP, I'm fulfilling my own creativity, you know, so mm-hmm. that's how you balance it. And actually, it, I need both, I mm-hmm. think you know um one's very grounding practical and the other is about me being getting to be an artist you know Mm. um yeah i presume as well there's plenty of synchronicities between the projects that you put on you know being able to share resources and 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 personnel and and um you know all that kind of thing as well yeah absolutely and and i think yeah there's an amazing symbiosis between the two um, so Equinox actors have been involved in Asylum, Asylum um, people work with Equinox. Um, there are three theatre companies in Callan, it's worth noting. So one's Equinox, Asylum, and then Monkey Shine Theatre as well. So there is, there's there's room yeah. for us all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Amazing, yeah. Um, Cleaner, um, can we talk about Cleaner for a second? It was, it was the sure. first time I saw you perform. Um, it's a nonverbal short movement piece. Um, can you tell me a bit about the development of it and how, how it came to be? Ah, <laughs> so um, I made that piece with Donald Gallagher, who is also now my husband. Um, and we started making that really quickly after meeting each other. So um, we work together, obviously, with Asylum, um, but that relationship started with Cleaner. Mm. Um, and I had this idea for a couple of years, maybe since I was about 16, um, which was just kind of coming just from an object puppetry place. So it's mm. playing with the sweeping brush and making it look like it comes to life. And it was just a funny kind of party piece sort of that I had for a while. And uh, one night I showed it to Donal and he was like, we have to do something with this. <laughs> um, and we started playing around with it. Um, and my mother, who's a visual artist, um, was artist in residence in Arasena in, in Ashir. And she invited us to come along for the crack. Um, and because there's a tiny 20 something seater um, theater there and it wasn't going to be 
used while she was in the studio in the gallery. Um, so we went along and, uh, and pushed it on there. And I think over the years we've rehearsed it in, in the strangest and wildest of places really. <laughs> um, but the first uh, kind of gig we got was, was to perform it in Kilkenny Arts Festival. And this is back in 2006. Um, and uh, the Kilkenny Arts Officer uh, had a had a program of events and I can't remember what it's called. It was brilliant. Um, but she had, uh, basically she was curating art events in a house and she mm -hmm. gave us the kitchen. So it kind of evolved from that. Um, so Cleaner was a one woman piece that was performed. It had to be in a real kitchen. <laughs> and that, that was the beginnings of, of the piece for us. It was kind of dictated by outside um, influences as much as what was going on in our heads. Mm. Um, and yeah. at the time it was the height of the Celtic tiger. And, uh, and there was quite a lot of people who had these um, Eastern European women cleaning their houses treating them like kind of anonymous individuals that they weren't really worth conversing with properly or paying well or, you know, so this was... Um, like robots or something. Yeah, or just, you know, lesser humans in, mm. in so many ways, you know. So this piece was really about um, just trying to get inside an inner world of somebody who has to do this job in somebody's house um yeah so that's mm. where that kind of came from yeah and, <laughs> and so it started in the kitchen and um obviously then you're you're able to by by kind of like putting that limitation the small space and and that you're able to easily transpose it to to other kitchens over was that like a major factor in in the, the the direction and the design of it and all that kind of thing or yeah I mean this was yeah so so we really the, the kind of dramaturgy of the piece really was built around the idea that the fourth wall in this would be really thick hmm. so so the audience were completely invisible to this woman so we're mm -hmm. seeing her completely alone but um that worked because we were in a real kitchen. So we decided quite early on we couldn't perform it in a in a theater, that it really had to be in a real place. I don't know why. I, I'm, I'm, if I were to revisit it, I might change my mind on that. But, mm. but, but um, yeah, but it was very easily transposed whatever way we put it together. And it's been a long time since I performed it. But, but, and, and I'd like to do it again, actually. But, mm. um, but uh, yeah, so we would just, it would just take one day for us to adapt it to a new kitchen. And um, my very favorite performance of that was um, when we did it in Fringe in 2010. Um, we, in the program, we said, this is available to come to your house if you want it. Oh yeah, very nice. And, uh, <laughs> and one woman um, contacted us whose mother was very ill with, can with cancer, loved going to theater. And she asked if we'd come and do it because she couldn't make it to the fringe that year. And if we would bring the show to her in her kitchen and a few of her friends, and we did. And it was the most beautiful experience I've ever had of any show ever. It's just that one performance in that woman's kitchen because she really needed it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> it was oh, yeah, amazing. Yeah. 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 Um, on, uh, on Six by Sundown, you're credited as the set designer, dramaturg, uh, graphic designer, as well as playing the part of Blind Woman. 
Um, did you find it difficult to switch roles between? Is this is this included in your sort of you know they're all the same when you're you know like every every uh, every role speaks to each other? Yeah. Uh, so Six by Sundown was in two thousand and eight. I'm gonna say, um, like. <laughs> I think that was budgetary for myself, mm-hmm. <laughs> really. And it was really our first kind of large scale piece or like I, I, I don't think I'd call it large scale anymore. But at the time, it felt huge to us mm-hmm. um, because it was an enormous sprawling building. And we really didn't know what we needed. We really didn't know how to do it. And um, uh, somebody recently said, you know, making work of this kind, we're all running and drawing the maps at the same time. Mm. <laughs> um, so uh, that's what it was. It was just really the beginnings of, of learning about how to how to really engage with the place, how to tell it, how to listen to a building the way we needed to. So Six by Sundown was, I should say, um, uh, an invitation from a Camp Hill Communities of Ireland to um, explore the Callan Workhouse. Um, so the Callan Workhouse was about to be redeveloped as the Callan Medical Centre. And so it wasn't going to be this empty shell of a building anymore. It was going to be this hyper-modern medical centre that was going to be really occupied. Um, and uh, so we were invited to really kind of say farewell to it, I suppose, in, in its form. Um, and uh, so we learned very quickly that you need to a building like that with such weight of history behind it um, you need to listen to the building Mm. (laughs) Um, and that sounds quite esoteric but um, and it it is um, but it was so important and and this particular building um, Thomas Kilroy the playwright uh, grew up in Callan and he used to play in the Callum Workhouse in the 1950s. He, him and his friends they used to reenact uh, cowboy movies that they saw mm. the, in the um, picture house. And so this was our beginning. Our starting point was one woman described it as Disneyland in the 1950s. So the local kids all went to play in there and it was the best place ever. Less than 100 years before, more children died in the Callum Workhouse than any other workhouse in Ireland. Um, so we had this amazing start mm. that we really had to pay attention to that and, and what the building could give us. Um, so at the time, I did my, my kind of role as a, what, what I was was only beginning to evolve. So then you just kind of get involved in everything. So you're involved at the very beginning with the writer and the director. Okay, I've been doing a bit of design work. So I started kind of mooting design issues um, like very early on in the process. Actually, I ended up performing in it because we just needed an actor and we couldn't cast anybody. Mm-hmm. We couldn't find anybody. <laughs> so I just went, well, I'll do it. <laughs> um, and I ended up designing a poster because I, I think we just ran out of money. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so that was a very long-winded way of just saying, like, mostly it's just learning how to put a production like that together. It wasn't, it isn't like a regular show, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> takes takes more more staff in general. 
Um, Four stop in general, yeah. Yeah. Um, your dad, David, is uh, credited as set designer in set construction um, or a co-set designer. Your husband directed it. Um, were your mother and brother involved too? Did I see their names on the list? We did. My mother, um, we commissioned my mother and another visual artist, Patrick, uh, oh, I can't remember his name. <gasps> That's terrible. So um, to we commissioned them to do installations in part of the journey um, you passed to kind of cells, I suppose. So we commissioned some installations from them in there. So we won't. We didn't have to work directly with my mother. Um, yes, my father co-set designed it. My brother was involved because his daughter played one of the small children. We had um, some small children in it. Um, so my niece was was also in the show. Right. Um, yeah. So, and so, <laughs> so the question, like, I mean, um, what was it like making a work of this scale, you know, with family? Like, is it difficult to draw the line you know professionally and familiarly or you know is it actually yeah. easier to be more critically honest with people because you know you're kind Bit of like, both. Yeah. no it's it's both yeah it's it's easier because you can have an outright fight and mm-hmm. I, i'm pretty sure me and donald have shocked people <laughs> in the past with how mm. we speak to each other sometimes um uh and and the same with working with, with my dad um it isn't easier it's really hard the boundaries totally get muffled but it is a finite period of time as well Mm -hmm. and if you've really strong relationship with them um hopefully by the end you'll still be talking to each other or at least if you're not you can sort it out (laughs) Mm. (laughs) over a good meal and some straight talk and figure it out and compromises (laughs) yeah okay so would you recommend it uh no Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> not not to that level i think yeah. no i think it, it is super intense but but i also do come from a culture where um family made work together yeah, so yeah, yeah. in the lumber pulpit theater everybody who worked there was family pretty much mm. um with the odd outsider who had to kind of become part of the family to be part of it. so that blurred <laughs> lines always been in my life you know yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um yeah, I think I think it's probably not the healthiest way to wait to make work, honestly. You know, mm-hmm. um I do love working with Donal though. Mm-hmm. And I think that's because we've always worked together. Like the, the first thing we did was make cleaner. Um sure. and we just built up such a, a relationship of, of trust. We really trust each other. Yeah. You know. Um so yeah. So that's I think yeah. Mm. I don't know about recommendations. But. Okay, well, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you, you mentioned earlier about um, the link between dramaturgy and and design. Um, for this show, like, how important was the uh, choice of location of scenes? You know, for the story, and was dramaturgy and set design like a natural pairing that you know they couldn't have actually been done by two separate people. Um, they could have been done by two separate people, um, but and I and I and I've taken this role a few times um, in offsite work where I, I'm kind of dramaturg and designer at the same mm-hmm. time because, like I said, it's about letting the space tell you what you need. Um, so in some ways, it, particularly with Six by Sunday, the building told us what to do, um, how the journey would go, and and 
how the how the story that we would tell would go because of physical journey that the audience would need to make. Like, so they're really inextricably tied together. Do you know what I mean? Does mm-hmm, that make sense? Mm-hmm, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so that was the first time I'd ever kind of done that. Um, but I do think they are they are a natural fit. Well, certainly in, in off-site work of this kind. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, no, I, I totally understand. I think, you know, um, talking to like John McCarthy and Paul Keoghan and stuff have, all, have also kind of talked and, and Owen Boss have talked about, you know, letting the site tell you, you know, guide your hand um, as you're making the show and how important that is to, uh, to, to really kind of meshing in a work into it, you know, so that it, it doesn't feel like you're planting something on top that it feels like it's naturally growing out of the, the site. Um, the space and the journey are in a, a constant dialogue mm-hmm. between each other, you know, and the narrative and the, yeah, so they're, yeah, they're propping each other up big time mm-hmm. there. Um, how big a factor was um, accessibility in assessing the viability of, of the locations? Um, at the time, I think we were just starting a journey of accessibility. I don't think it was a huge factor. Mm-hmm. As it happened, we did actually have to modify access into into a few of the spaces by building ramps mm-hmm. um but that's just nice for everybody <laughs> mm-hmm. to walk down a ramp than to have to na- navigate stairs and i think the capacity for that show was about 50 so mm-hmm. i mean it's much easier to get 50 people into a into a space down a ramp than it is down some dodgy steps you know yeah. um yeah that might have been the first point where we realized that accessibility is useful for everybody <laughs> that is not just for like special people who mm-hmm. need, you know, who can't use a step, but actually it just makes everybody's life better and easier. Yeah, it wasn't a big factor, but definitely, we definitely did make everything accessible. Yeah. Mm. Um, so after the success of that project, um, your next large scale uh, show in Callan was um Bridge Street will be. Um, and I yeah. listened to the great KCLR documentary. I'll, I'll put a link below. Um, but it sounded like a huge undertaking. And can you tell me about like the grant process? Like, I mean, as a producer, how did you manage to bring together so many different organizations? Yeah. So the very first, ooh, the, very, the very first thing that, that a the way this project kind of came together was because of members, certain members of Equinox with mobility issues getting off the bus at the top of the town and trying to walk down Bridge Street. And uh, and they just started talking about it one day about what a pain in the neck it was. Mm-hmm. Because on the really usable footpath, cars would park on the really usable footpath, leaving only a really dodgy one for them to navigate. Mm. We started chatting about it one day and we all went out and stood and looked at Bridge Street and kind of one of the things about Bridge Street at the time was that it was two-way. It's a street that basically has the capacity for one car to go at a time. It's really, really narrow. And then with cars parked on it, on the good the good footpath, right as much <laughs> the good footpath, there was no, do you know, like there was, the, you couldn't stop. Put away the good footpath. 
<laughs> I know the good, but you couldn't you couldn't even stop to look at it. It was just really dangerous, you know. So, but mm. one day we did go out and look at it and went, we want to do something about this. There's another beautiful organisation in Callum called uh, Callum Workhouse Union. I should follow up Six by Sundown um, story with the fact that the, the Callum Medical Centre never ended up there. It ended up the other end of the town in a brand new building. Mm. Um, and so the building has been in use for arts purposes since then, actually. Oh. So Callum Workhouse Union are, I don't even know how to describe who they are, but, um, but they work a lot with architecture. And they work a lot with uh, as kind of consultancy on on really interesting projects. So they've been involved in the development of the skate park in, in Kilkenny, for example. So they work a lot with county councils um, and as sort of con- consultants, I guess, in a way, but, but really on an art level, it's mm-hmm. fascinating. So they might bring for an architecture or a civic engagement project, they might bring in a um, choreographer, for example, or somebody to invent board games um, to engage with a certain sector of a certain community or whatever. So they're fascinating. So we started the conversation with them. So that was partner number one. Um, And it it kind of grew from there, really, that we ended up working for the very first time with an architecture firm from London called Studio Weave, who are architects who believe in, I suppose, the narrative of buildings. Um, And they really believe in, in... the space that we occupy outside of a building um, to be, you know, public space and, and really getting everybody's kind of civic engagement in, in the narrative of architecture. Um, so that seemed like a really natural fit to work on a theatre project. Mm. Um, and we had to, so I suppose because the street was so difficult to use, that we had to kind of look at the space as as a public space first before we could start thinking about creating theatre. So this is a street that people wanted to walk down but couldn't. Mm. It's a street that people wanted to drive down but couldn't because it was just too annoying. Um, it's a street that's incredibly beautiful and all the buildings on it are actually listed, but, but all of the buildings were empty at the time. Mm. Um, so there was quite a lot of kind of groundwork and the partners built up from there. Um, and then we, uh, Equinox, uh, opened a cafe in one of the buildings that we got access to. Um, and we wanted to gather stories about the street. Um, so it was, it was a barter system. We invited people to come into the cafe. We opened it for a week um, to tell us the story about the street in exchange for a cup of tea or coffee and a slice of cake. Lovely. Um, because that street was once the beating heart of the town. It was the real kind of, uh, it was the real sort of hub. Um, and then just slowly died off mm-hmm. and, and became frustrating. Um, so that's how we developed all the partners, I guess, just slowly but surely kind of building them up and layering them, going, oh, we need this, we need this, we need this. How did we go about funding? We uh, got an arts participation project award. At mm-hmm. the time, the limit for those was forty thousand euros. So mm-hmm. that, that was our starting funding, really. Yeah. Um, we had no development money. Again, we were just learning. We should have had more time. Um, but we went straight ahead and got a project funding. We got support from Kilkenny County Council. We got sponsorship from Crown Paints. I'm going to say. So we just, yeah, 
mm-hmm. and brought in the whole community to help us. <laughs> well, this is it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's it's really it's um, very clear in the documentary, like just how many people were involved, and and it seemed like really the whole town um, yeah. were were either working painting or performing or uh, working behind the scenes. You know. Um, yeah um sounds fantastic now at the same time like it kind of seems clear that there were some challenges there as well um is that kind of like par for the course for any any um show of this scale and nature like when you've got so many um different um stakeholders i suppose yeah i don't know if it's par for the course um but this project certainly had its certainly had its challenges um, I think some funny things went wrong for us. <laughs> um, and I think the thing about making a piece of work like this is that it's not, if you're making a work on a piece of work in a public space, it's not yours. You mm-hmm. never have a moment where it's only yours. You can't shut the doors, black it out, call mm-hmm. for silence. You don't have control in that sense, and, and you shouldn't have control. So you have to be able to relinquish control. So with all of the planning that, that needs to go into, usually like with an offside piece, yeah, you get a building or you get a you get a room or you get a something that is kind of yours. You try to make it yours. But if you try to make a piece of the street, it's never yours. And the stories that you're telling are not yours either, especially if you want to tell a real story of the street. So those stories aren't yours. You have to be careful because um, a lot of these people um, that we were telling the stories about, a lot of them are still alive. Their family members are still alive. So, and that coupled with the fact that um, a lot of the buildings on the street at the time were for sale as well. Mm-hmm. So, or or we didn't know who owned them. So for for so much of the time, we weren't sure if we had access to. A building or a space or if somebody was going to give us permission to do that so all the time we stack the the odds up in our favor <laughs> you know we, usually you're like when you're making a produ- production you want to stack all the odds up in your favor for a smooth running we did the opposite in this show <laughs> so we we made everything as difficult as possible plus uh, it was also our first time collaborating with an architect Uh, collaborating across art forms is is always a little challenging and you know you you need to be ready for that but architecture and theater are two fundamentally different languages Mm. um and uh and we had to learn how to speak to each other um and and often we'd be saying the same thing and not understanding that we weren't talking across purposes so for a lot of the process it was just going how does that work, <laughs> you know, or mm. like, yeah, so, um, so yeah, we, we stacked all the odds up against ourselves, um, and, uh, but at the same time, what did result was a glorious stew of <laughs> ideas and people coming together to tell a story that was ultimately a celebration of a place that was once beautiful and now neglected. And, and the street has completely changed. Mm. Um, it's not one way. There's, um, it's been kind of, uh, the footpaths have been enormously widened. Um, a lot of the buildings are now active. 
which they hadn't been by that time. So I think maybe five or six of them are now active when they were they were dead back then. Mm. So um, and loads more and 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 um, and that was kind of a direct result of something su- of such a kind of public engagement with the space. Um, and the result was so public. The show was so public um, that, yeah, things happened. And, and some of them are still happening. Mm. So. Fantastic. Um, and like, you know, the, the success of, of those two projects, I'm sure, led directly to the, the third in the trilogy, um, The Big Chapel. Is it The Big Chapel or The Big Chapel X? The Big Chapel X was the production. Yeah. Okay. We, we called it that. Yeah. For plausible deniability. Um. <laughs> <laughs> um so it was an immensely successful show um winning a rake of awards and um getting huge critical acclaim um not just from you know theater critics but from audience you know by and large like thought it was absolutely fantastic um it sounds like another jump up in scale again from bridge street like seeming to you know to like um include the entire town um i know i said that about bridge street but but, <laughs> but I, I got the sense that you basically you know uh you couldn't not be involved uh, in some way um in this show um yeah could you tell me a bit about it um oh. how, how, how much how much how much different like how much different of a, of a jump up was it from the the other shows absolutely massive um, I mean it was funded to a, a much better level mm-hmm. <laughs> to start with um, but it, it, okay so so it's really important to acknowledge the journey that we had had in Callan and, and developing the relationships with the people in Callan and the town of Callan yeah. um, that we couldn't have done it we couldn't have created the big chapel X without having created six by sundown on Bridge Street because by then I think we had gained a whole community's trust that we would be respectful, that mm-hmm. we would kind of love the town yeah. <laughs> and that we would listen and that we would pay attention to what people needed and wanted. Um, so that was really, really, really important um, because so the big chapel, it's really worth kind of acknowledging. So the big chapel X was an adaptation of Thomas Kilroy's novel. So which was a, the face 1970s, um, which involved a, a religion in the town, uh, echoes of which could still be felt to this day in Cullen. So right up until the friary um, uh, closed in kind of the early 2000s, town would go to mass in the big chapel up at the top of the town and the other half would go to mass in the friary for generations. And some people didn't remember why. So, mm-hmm. you know, some families just always so we both like we were so aware of this and we were so aware of the potential sensitivities of this um of the repercussions of this ancient story in the town that we yeah so that relationship was already there how much of a jump up was it so we went from one building (laughs) to one street to the whole town so we we still we ended up having to use Bridge Street again, actually. Um, but in the big chapel, we used eight buildings in mm. the town, and then and then I think it was 
almost a kilometer walk the length of the town so it went mm. from one hill to the other so the town is kind of both like this mm. um so huge jump financially crew wise the whole town emotionally i think as well and and in terms of the story we were telling was a was a massive story too mm. um also it should be said that thomas kilroy's novel had been uh, really badly received by the town in 1970s when it was when it was mm. released Partly yeah. because the very first line is the town had no very remarkable history before this. This was the time from which its people would measure its age. So <laughs> immediately it's like, what, we weren't interesting before this. Oh, my God. So immediately people's hackles were raised. So, mm. um, yeah. <laughs> so there's a lot of care and attention that we had to really put into listening and and yeah giving the town some love in the process of telling a story that was quite contentious you know mm. I'm, I'm just wondering like could this sort of approach that you know a long long many multi-year uh process of of working in a location and getting those stories and and uh the town telling its own stories um like could that work in other locations and if so would that would they have to be could say a company like Asylum go to somewhere like uh, Ennis for just off the top of my head and begin like a long period of consulting with people or would it have to be a local company deciding to do this off their own bat or is it just a case that this was a once in a once in a lifetime kind of situation where you know you have this town you have this company and um you make a very original and individual piece of art that, that can't really be transferred. So I think that's true for the big chapel. I really think that that 13 year relationship, um, like I, I really don't think, you know, anybody could have come in to tell that story. I think that mm -hmm. was really important. But Six by Sundown, Asylum were not based in Callan. I had, um, I was living in Cork at the time, even when we made right. Six by Sundown. Right. I didn't really grow up in Callan. I grew up six miles out of Callan. And my my parents' house was closer to Kilkenny than, than Callan. We never went here. I went to school in Kilkenny. I see. So I know I it was the beginning, it was very much the beginning. So we were brand new to this. We didn't know the town to make six by sundown. And Donald and I actually really learned so much about paying attention to the community to the audience um, and to the community that used that building from a company, a UK company called Talking Birds, um, did a production of, uh, it was called The Last Lot in Kilkenny mm -hmm. in 2007, um, because the Kilkenny Cattle Mart was closing down after 50 years. And, uh, and the Kilkenny Arts Office, Officer, Mary Butler, invited um, Talking Birds to come and, and do a piece in the in the uh, in the cattle mart to say mm. farewell to the cattle mart before it was knocked down. Beautiful documentary about it actually as well. Um, and we, Donald and I learned so much from Talking Birds about how they assembled the stories, how they gathered the stories, how much time they spent there. And I mean, we're talking about a, a company based in Coventry in the UK. Mm -hmm. So it's totally doable, I think. Um, but you have to be very sensitive. You have to be very open. You have to be very respectful, even more respectful, I think, if it's not your place, mm -hmm. <laughs> because you will be leaving. 
And I think that's one of the things about the big chapel, which made us tread so carefully, was that we live here mm. <laughs> and we work here and we walk down that street every day and we meet all of those people every day. So, you know, um, but uh, I think, yeah. No, I think it's totally doable mm. <laughs> to okay. make a piece in a town. Yeah, totally. And the last lot was really marvellous, you mm. know, really extraordinary piece of theatre. Mm. Um, I, I want to ask you a little bit about um, accessibility. Um, yeah. And in your work with uh, Equinox Theatre Company, and last year I worked with you on um, what, I, what I don't know about autism, um, you you introduced a number of set design elements um, that aided in the accessibility of performance. Um, can you talk a bit about your approach to accessibility as a designer and a director and divisor? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so um, from working with with disabled artists for fourteen years, I've been I've been in KCAT. Um, uh, quite often I would be directing a show as well as, as designing it in KGAT, so for Equinox. Um, and we would be devising the show together and the design really starts to come out of the devising process, um, which means that function comes first. And then you don't have to think about accessibility at all because you're working from a really early point mm. on what somebody needs um, or what you need to tell the story or what you need, you know, to do anything to achieve the show um, and semiotically and uh, visually and functionally. So function is absolutely first. Um, and with accessibility, in terms of set design, in terms of a visual set design, having things that don't have a function just makes life more complicated. It makes another trip hazard. It makes another, <laughs> it makes another thing to draw your attention away from somebody who might need all the space and time in the world for you to pay attention to them. Um, so your job, my job as a designer, I think, is to give everything as much breathing space as possible. And I think, you know, it doesn't make the most extraordinary looking design quite often. It means that your, your piece is just a peaceable puzzle in terms of the show. It isn't like grandstanding or anything like that. It's just really coming in from as early a point as possible to give the actors the best shot possible to tell their story. Mm. So that's that's completely embedded in my thinking as a designer through and through. And I think it's a bit like, I always think a little bit of like Ikea, you know, they always talk about like designing their kitchen so everybody can use it. It's a bit mm -hmm. like that for mm -hmm. me in my head. Um, yeah. And does a uh, traditional theatre with like its ramps and projectors and sound systems make uh, it easier to design in this way than, say, if you're using a, a car park? <laughs> I think all every everything has its limitations. And I, I think of myself, if I really had to give myself a job title, Owen, it would be um, I'm a problem solver. Mm. So every space you go into, every show you make, every creative act is basically like a problem that you have to solve, you know? Yeah. <laughs> how are we going to do, how are we going to tell this story? How is this person going to walk up this ramp? To me, they're kind of the same problems. They're all intertwined, you know? And mm. that's how I approach everything I work on. So that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Maeve, thanks a million for your time. Just, I just want to ask one last question. I mean, about uh, 
you know this year and, and next year and how the the COVID-19 pandemic has, has affected your work in KCAT and Asylum um we were uh, scheduled to work on a project earlier in the year uh, which had to be postponed um um how how are you getting on Plans afoot. So again, um, Equinox, let's start with Equinox because it's it's worth it. So um, Equinox are nine nine actors now um, with a varying level of of, um, risk. Um, And for for Equinox, I always think that the best thing I can give them is certainty. So we have um, basically put everything we were working on on ice for, for 2021. So nothing is happening unless it can happen digitally. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, we've kind of opted to allow everybody to have space and time to, to make their own work. Um, there are a couple of things that we're going to work on digitally with, with Equinox. Um, we're fortunate with Asylum in that our planning for next year mostly involved development so Mm -hmm. um taking space and time to after after making a piece of work and the scale of the big chapel what does that mean for a theater company who are we now um what what's our function in this town how can we how can a how can a company exist in a small town and be kind of useful Mm. (laughs) how can art be useful so so we were really fortunate we've one production that we were we were scheduled to um to have on this year um which is obviously postponed and the writer also needs a bit of um is also vulnerable and high risk so mm-hmm. we have to just wait <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> till we can give somebody some certainty really you know yeah. um and that's okay <laughs> <laughs> taking the time it's all right we don't have to be in a big rush to do everything i think um mm-hmm. that's something i've definitely learned from covid yeah no panic <laughs> you can't like put down an idea if an idea is good it's going to come through the other side I absolutely well i look forward to uh to seeing the the fruits of your labor um when everything has a chance to settle in and, and you can have that certainty um thanks a million yeah. it's always great to chat to you thanks so lovely chatting to you cheers thanks again to Maeve um for that great chat and uh, thanks as well to the Arts Council for supporting this project and to astronaut Mike Dexter for composing the music. On the next episode, I'll be speaking to sound designer, composer, educator and performer Mel Mercier.